This is an SM Media production. Folks and welcome to the latest episode of the Rewind right here on SM Media. I'm Scott Pike. It's an absolute pleasure to be your host as always. We are now at episode three. We are going to take a look at Hibs and their infamous golden generation of the mid two thousands. What happened when a group of really exciting young talent emerged at Easter Road and looked to potentially have a team that was was capable of splitting the old firm. To join me on to look back in this infamous time in Hibs history is from the Long Bangers podcast. A pleasure to welcome Matty Fairney. Matty, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you back on. Thanks very much, Scott. Yeah, delighted to be back on. These are, I imagine, better times to look back on than what's been happening the past couple of years, I'd assume. Uh, definitely better than, uh, than the last last couple of years. I think for, for most people my age, and I'm mid-40s, this is one of our sort of peak times. So I don't know anybody my age that doesn't look back at this period before this to kind of look back at this time, you kind of have to look back to the kind of turn of the century with Hibs and where Hibs were at in terms of kind of getting into the millennium. Hibs had obviously had a difficult kind of turn of the century with it getting relegated. Alec McLeish had come in. It brought a real kind of feel-good factor back to Hibs but in terms of gaining promotion. That infamous day against uh, Hearts of 3 won that millennium derby. It was a, a really momentous kind of time for Hibs as well. What was your kind of memories of the kind of early 2000s and when Hibs kind of got back to a, a stable position because it was a, a few, a good, a kind of bleak few years before that? Yeah, we, we'd gone, well, people blame Jim Duffy for the relegation. McLeish had actually taken over just before we got yeah. relegated. Um, but in the Championship, or the, I think it was the First Division back then, he managed to put together a cracking team. So the two sort of Stars that he brought in were, were Frank Stosey and uh, Russell Latipe, both mm-hmm. of whom should, by rights, have never been anywhere near that level of football. Um, but they were, a, they were a fantastic team to, to watch. I mean, you mentioned the 3 0 the Millennium Derby, but we had a 6 2 against Hearts at mm-hmm. Easter Road, which is uh, you know, one of these games that's gone down in folklore with, uh, with Hibs fans. And just the, the brand of football that they played, and particularly when, when uh, Latipe was on form. It was just fantastic. I mean, we would blow teams away at times, and um, with David Satelli up front, I think uh, Mark Libra came in under uh, McLeish as well. Mm-hmm. It was a cracking forward. Um, Stuart Lovell, uh, John O'Neill, and you could go right through the team and pick out sort of class players. O- o- Larson that went to Celtic. Um, ah, they, I mean, talk about a feel good factor. I mean, McLeish definitely brought it back in, in droves. Kenny Miller, Kenny Miller as well, and that mm-hmm. as well. He'd he'd emerged a real proper kind of exciting talent at the time as well, didn't he? Aye, Kenny Miller burst onto the scene, and um, it was just like this wee whip hit. There was nothing to him, but he was uh, had all the pace, and he could finish, and you could tell sort of early doors that the boy was going to have a good career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the two thousand two thousand one season, obviously that Celtic defeat in the cup final, but that was a real kind of exciting run to get to that cup final. I mean, we look back at that time, I'm just looking at a 6-1-1 over Clyde, beating Livingston 3-0 in the semi-final as well, but Celtic, well, that was Celtic going for the treble. Celtic were just a different class in that day. Celtic were excellent. We had just before it, um, in the run-up, so Latipe had gone out with, he was pals with Wright York, 
and they'd gone out on the ran down in Edinburgh and he got done for drink driving, I think, mm. and uh, Hibbs sacked him pretty much. And I think if Latape had been available, it would have been a different cup final. Now, Sosie was just coming back for injury as well. And I think Sosie was maybe 70% fit for that one. And you met like, Celtic were a fantastic team back then. I mean, they were they're consistently a good team anyway, but uh, that, that side was good. And we just had, they had too much for us on the day. Getting into the kind of 2001 season, kind of McLeish is obviously getting getting noticed. The Rangers job comes up when Advocat leaves. What was the kind of feeling when McLeish was leaving? Did you kind of understand that that was the job he always wanted? Or what was your kind of memories of that time? Uh, I remember a big backlash against McLeish for, for going. You think, uh, I don't know, I can't remember exactly the time time frame between him sort of standing in front of the Hibs fans saying, I'm here as long as you want me, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, when the news was just breaking about Rangers being interested and he, he sort of made a big dance song and dance about standing, uh, staying and then the next thing you know he's got the scarf above his head at Ibrox and uh, a lot of Hibs fans didn't really forgive him after that they, they, they held that against him for for quite a long time and it was a big blow because the team was the team was good McLeish was obviously going places as a manager and you felt that Hibs could have maybe done something although that said the, the side that he'd built was on the slide a wee bit by the time he left, it's like almost like kind of leaving at the right time for him, knowing what was coming down the road for Hibs, because we were having to look at some significant cost cutting at the club. And a couple of days after McLeish leaves and obviously goes to Rangers, Donald Park takes over as assistant, you know, for the assistant manager and the caretaker. But Frank Sozzi gets promoted to be the manager now. Frank Sozzi, I would imagine, would have been a, a great appointment with the fans at the time, just because obviously that's top player who'd came in, obviously still showed he'd, he'd got it, but it was promoting from within, and obviously Sozi, I think a lot of people would have been hoping that he would have converted that, his playing skills into managerial skills when he got the job. I think the biggest problem for Frank Sozi when he took over as, as manager is he didn't have Frank Sozi on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was by far and away our best player, and he stopped playing immediately, it wasn't like he kind of kept going player manager for a little while. He just sort of made that break, um, and uh, uh, there's a lot of debate with Hibs fans whether he should have been given more time. I think he only had like nine games or something. That I means ridiculous. Yeah, sixty-nine um, days. Sixty-nine days. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I mean, we weren't great under Sose. Um I think because the Hibs fans all love him so much, mm-hmm. they would have get they would have given him the time. The, the fans would oh, definitely yeah. give him the time, but the, the board obviously made that decision to, to pull the trigger on him but uh, it was a gutting time because he's I think every every Hibs fan that loves Sozi almost just compartmentalises that wee managerial spell puts it to one side and, and pretends it never happened mm-hmm. and we all just love him still and obviously with Sozi I think the, the big thing as well as the St Johnson were keeping up as well and I think he gets sacked just before that St Johnson game so it was a kind of weird time for the club. Like if Hibs had lost that game with Sozi in charge, would Hibs have, been, have, Hibs have stayed in the division? Would the time we're going to talk about ever have happened? It's... Oh, yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows? I, I love to think, in my wee fantasy, I always think Sozi would have turned it around and went on mm-hmm. to great things with us, but yeah, the, the likelihood is it probably wouldn't have happened. And Sozi, it's kind of, I think it's kind of telling that he never went back into management. Yeah, I think the experience, but he's actually never been back at Hips since then. Has he um, not? No. He's he's coming. He got involved with the, the Hanlon Stevenson Foundation as an ambassador, 
uh, just recently, and I think Hibs are bringing him out at the Motherwell game, and I think that will be his first time back at Easter Road since he got sacked, which is incredible, really. Yeah, I would never have believed that, but two days after that, Bobby Williamson comes in, and kind of for Kilmarnock, he'd done a really good job at Kilmarnock. I, I, think, I think he's really underrated for his time at Kilmarnock because he took that team to a team that should never have been finishing third and fourth and then really well. What was your thoughts when you, you heard Williamson was coming in? Um, I think we were kind of, ex- I suppose it was a level of excitement. He's won the Scottish Cup with Kilmarnock as well, I think. Um, and the candidates around at that point, Williamson was probably the one that mm. was like the obvious one really to, to go for. I don't think anybody was enthused about the style of football that he was mm. known for, but we would all have taken the third and fourth finishes. Uh, hands down, like no question, we would have taken that. And if he if he was a sort of stabilising influence in the club, I think we, we all would have accepted that. I think that's kind of how we turned out. And round about this time, obviously, this is the this is the time you remember when basically if you had a foreign name, you could get a contract in Scottish football. Aye. I'm just going to run through a few of these names that we're going to obviously talk about a a real good crop of Scottish players, but. Give us your memories. Like that. Paco Luna was there. Hulis is still a cruise. Now, the other two that I would say were probably quite decent. Mm-hmm. But you then go into like say, Lillian Martin, Lyndon Andrews, Alan Orman. There's there's a weird mixture. There's some that work out really well. There's some that don't. Uh, Orman was not bad. Uh, he's scored an absolute ache at the Ibrox. That's what you remember about uh, Orman. I think he had a seizure. I can't remember if it was the same game or yeah, he had, he had, had a, a seizure on the, on the pitch, which was a worry for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right, actually, yeah. So Orman was all right. Uh, Dela Cruz was a good sign. Like, I mean, he, he, he was a reported record fee. I think he was reported at three quarters of a million we paid for him, but I don't think it was actually anywhere close he to that. He went didn't he? He did, yeah. We sold yeah. him for, for a few million. I think he's still... Maybe McGinn surpassed him, but he was a record um, sale mm-hmm. for a long time. Uh, so Adela De La Cruz was uh, was decent, um, but uh, some of the players that were kicking about the club at that point were just instantly forgettable, really. And, and that was the same everywhere, wasn't it? It was just Aye. that it was that crazy time where the the TV money was in, and as I say, you were basically you could have you could have been you could have just had a foreign name, you could have changed your name to a, a foreign sounding name, and you would have probably got a decent contract at an SPL. I, mean, I think it was only Dundee that were signing the, the super the superstars with like Ravarelli and Canija and aye, I mean, aye, that, but... aye, there was that thing, but that obviously the the money kind of dried up at the time. And Definitely, yeah. I'm wanting this is the kind of beginning of when when we see these kind of players emerging. Like Ian Murray had obviously done pretty well; he'd been there a few years before that. But in that season, the seat the two thousand and one two thousand two season, Gary O'Connor, Derek Riordan. Gary Caldwell, Stephen Whitaker makes his first appearance as well. Early thoughts, did you hear it? Did you hear anything about these guys? Was there a lot of expectations on them when they were emerging? Or? No, um, there wasn't a lot of noise. I remember so a long time ago, we used to cover under-19 games for, for Hibs for their website and I was speaking to the coach at the time, James McDonough, uh, and he said that these boys were, they were not knocking down the manager's door for a game. They got played because out of necessity. Mm. Hibs had, had drastic cost cutting mm. and it was basically play the kids or we didn't have anybody to play um that we could afford. So they kinda of, they, they got into the team and I think they probably benefited from having that early exposure at that level of football. Um and they grasped the opportunity with both hands, it's fair to say. But they they, never, they weren't stellar under Williamson when, when he sort of brought them through. 
they were they were good, and we had the the CIS Cup run where we um, we beat Rangers at Hamden in the mm-hmm. the semi final, and they looked like they were maybe going to do something there. But that that was probably the highlight of the Williamson era. Mm-hmm. It was only really later on, which we'll come on to where they really took off. Yeah, I mean, you look at that 2002-2003 season, it does not start with a 5-1 defeat away to Hearts, a 4-2 defeat at home to Rangers in the first four games. It didn't start great that 2002-2003 season. Pretty grim. Aye, pretty grim. It seems to kind of turn around round about the kind of middle middle of kind of September and October when there's a lot more kind of results. I mean, a five-game winning run, but there was a bit of stability as well. And again, you see the likes of there's more players coming through. There's a lot, there's a lot of these kind of guys beginning to make a, a serious claim. And it's a good Scottish core as well. You've got the likes of Tam McManus. Obviously, I know part of Lyon isn't Scottish, but obviously was well known to Scottish football. John O'Neill was there, like as we mentioned, Ian Murray, Gary Smith. There's a lot of there's a real Scottish core. Giant, they were good for the youngsters' development. Definitely. I mean, Mixu in, in particular was a great influence on uh, on the squad. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he had like, a really good mentality about him. He'd been at the club and left and come back again. <laughs> uh, John O'Neill, I think John O'Neill eventually left because we couldn't afford to play him. Yeah, he, um, got great, he got a great contract somewhere. Hi. Um, he, was, he was a fantastic player, but I think you're right, that kind of core of experienced players that were there, they weren't just experienced, but they were also good players. Mm-hmm. Um, so the young players coming through into that environment definitely had sort of really good role models around them. And then obviously you mentioned the financial problems. Bobby Williamson, I think, just his own contract became really. He became kind of. He was his contract was getting renegotiated as well when he ended up taking a job at Plymouth, which mm-hmm. I think was really surprising. But do you kind of understand that like, as well? And what was that kind of reaction when he left? I think we were. By the time that Bobby Williamson left, he'd lost a lot of the Hibs support. There's a lot of folk had been disillusioned with the style of play. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very pragmatic, and I think in his defence, knowing what he had to work with, he, he probably did what he had to do. Um, but there was a lot of surprise that he went on to another club. I think folk were expecting him to kind of get the bullet at Hibs around about the time that he left. Mm-hmm. And so when the the news about him uh, moving to Plymouth came up. It was sort of a win-win for everybody. I think it was one of these moves that just suited all parties and they sort of left on good terms with uh, with the club. There's not that many Hibs fans will have a lot of bad things to say about him other than the wee complaints about the style of football. But I think we, in retrospect, knowing what he had to deal with, folk would probably look kindly on the job that he did at Hibs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think he's a very underrated manager. He's not a manager you look back and like actually really kind of when you look at his actual jobs that he did at particularly Comarnock and Hibs he actually did okay he didn't mm-hmm. do terrible but towards the end that he obviously leaves in April and I think it's yeah, Jerry McCabe stays on to the end of the season but Tony Mowbray gets appointed now it was a it was a real kind of shot in the dark with Tony Mowbray he'd obviously been a Celtic player he'd been well known to Scottish football but he'd spent a bit of time with Ipswich under George Burley mm-hmm. as well he'd kind of learned his trade what was the kind of reaction when you heard that Mowbray was getting the job uh, total surprise. It came out of nowhere. I think even up to the day when he was announced, the rumours that were flying about was, I think it was Alan Kernahan. He used to right. play for St. Johnson, maybe. Mm-hmm. The rumour was that he he was a stick-on for the job and that's who it was going to be. And then I remember the announcement that came to the we about Tony Mowbray and I was sitting in my living room and I was like, Tony Mowbray, what? And I, I, just, couldn't, I could, just couldn't see it where it come from. But then as soon as he started speaking, and literally I think this is a feeling that was shared across the 
the support. Everybody had that kind of WTF moment at the start. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as you started talking about this um, expansive brand of football, and it, it was a phrase used like an upward spiral at the club is what he wanted to do, just to have this sort of uh, attacking philosophy, playing football the way that Hibs fans want to see the team playing. I think very quickly people bought into it. Very, very quickly. Um, he, he just came across totally different from the perception that you would have had of him as a player. And he comes in and he brings he, he brings it. We'll touch a bit in his signings his, in his first season, but Scott Brown emerges. You've got the likes of Kevin Thompson, Stephen Whitaker, Stephen Fletcher even comes in this summer as uh, in this summer as well. Stephen Dobie's there. There's there's a lot of really excited that it begins to now become a real generation, a young talent. Who can I stood out for you when you like for the first time you've seen him, who really stood out as a good player? Um Fletcher. Fletcher was a funny one. Um I remember looking back at because if we talk about Stephen Fletcher and a lot of people would complain he was only like one footed, very, very reliant on his, his left foot, mm-hmm. which was crazy because he was a, a fantastic player when he didn't play you saw how good he was mm-hmm. it's like all the things that you take for granted as soon as he was out of the team you're like oh, we're nowhere near as good if, if Fletcher was good Riordan was incredible when he burst into the scene and the goals that Riordan scored were magnificent I mean he would score every type of goal you could you could imagine the screamers in the top corner the tap-ins um, the wee dribbles and beating a few players before tucking it away um, he had a wee bit of everything uh, rather than an attitude to kind of go with it you know the haircut they all had the haircuts didn't they in that, at, at that time um, it's hard to pinpoint Scott Brown as well He was. I remember hearing a story about Scott Brown as he was just breaking into the team and I think he'd played a reserve game and he was up against Stephen Presley because Brown started in as a forward at yeah. Hibs and the story goes he was just in his ear all the time saying you're not good enough to play me Stephen Presley is Scotland international at this point mm-hmm. he's like you're not good enough you're not good enough to play against me Presley I'll do this to you and that to you and that just kind of sums Scott Brown up <laughs> and that was the thing with Brown as well when obviously we, know, we think of Scott Brown now we think of him as this amazing holding midfielder that would kind of break play up but he was a real forward a forward going player and I remember specifically remember that period they played with a broken leg Aye, there was. Uh, I think he broke it against Hearts, mm-hmm. and they played on. And aye, I mean that's up Scott Brown up. He played through a broken leg. And you just think of that all the time, like how it shows you the kind of courage he had. And but it was it was a really exciting talent going forward. And we'll touch on obviously later on, and just when when it becomes the stage when they move on, and how how it becomes a kind of bidding war basically. But mm. we'll touch on the players they brought in over that summer to complement this youth team. Julian Boslem. He was a, he was unbelievable. Remember, he, he, was was, he was a brilliant player. Yeah, he he bought right into the club as well. Mm-hmm. And he's still he's, he's back at the club just now in a sort mm-hmm. of coaching role. Um Boozy just had that sort of composure and calmness in the middle of the field where he could sort of spray the passes about and let everybody else do the running. He was a, a terrific signing. And out of nowhere as well. There's a guy who I touch on only played one game, but I think he had an impact in Mowbray as a and in, in his barroom staff, Mark Venus. Aye, Mark, did Venus get a game, did he? He played one game, but I, I remember him, obviously. He was, I don't know if he became... He was, a, he's a, he he was, was, he was assistant manager, yeah. Yeah, but, but he was a, he's, a, he's assistant at Celtic as well, and he was very he was very key to how Mowbray operated. Yeah, well, there was a lot of talk about Venus getting the job after Mowbray left. Mm-hmm. I, that's funny, I had no recollection of him playing at, at he all. He played one game. Yeah, it's like new news, that. Um Terrific player, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Hibs legend. Yeah. Um, 
Ah, it was definitely a big influence. Him and Mowbray worked really well. I think they just had the, that, that sort of chemistry between them. They definitely worked for Hibs. Mm-hmm. Dean Shields coming in as well for Arsenal. Mm-hmm. He emerged as quite a good talent as well. He was a really good player. He should probably underrated it, even though he ended up at Rangers, didn't he? Like he mm-hmm. kind of, you know, moved on. I think it was when Rangers were having their, their troubles that he played for them. But he was uh, again very talented player, but no, no guaranteed a start. That's kind of tells you how good a team we had at that point. That you know, players like Dean Shields that sometimes they start, sometimes they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. The one that really caught my eye when he came in was David Murphy. He came in. He was a free agent from Middlesbrough. Shows you how I think Mowbray had a wee bit of a, a good eye in the English market. He saw him, for, he got him really cheap for li- no money, and he emerged as such a key player in that Hibs team. Well, Murphy's uh, he, he came in pre season, and the perception was he was overweight. Everybody was kind of looking at him, going, Who's this boy? And then a ball got fired across at him, and he just took it down first time. Murphy's first touch was it's still legendary to this sort of this, this day when you talk to Hibs fans, and he was fantastic, like he just. Uh, it's a total surprise package. And it, obviously as well, he we, comes in and he immediately just hits the ground running. There's a, it's not a brilliant start. There's a couple of defeats, but obviously once he, he gets a few wins in the board, then he, there's a difference in how they play. How was that? How was how much more refreshing was it to see a kind of breathy attacking football with this young talent coming through? Uh, it was amazing. So Hibs, for the rocky start that we had under Mowbray, he came out, I think it was the first game... It's a 4-4 draw, maybe we were 4-2 up and then ended up drawing 4-4. I think it'd be a bit hazy with my memory of that, but early days, you could see the style of play emerging and Mowbray came in and said, listen, we're going to make mistakes, a young team, but if we keep playing like this, we'll win more than we lose and everybody was on board with that. Like, there were very few complaints and you could just see um, this sort of Cavalier brand of football coming through and the place was buzzing. Like Every, every week you were turning up and you didn't, you didn't know what you were going to get. You knew you would get a team that was going to have a right good go, but we would take everybody on. There was no... It didn't always win, but it didn't matter if it was Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Aberdeen. We'd come and just try and beat them. And they sitting in for a draw or, or anything like that. And we would try to do it playing the way that we always played. Mm-hmm. And great. another player that comes that comes in at that point for a £5,000 free from Institute in Northern Ireland, Ivan Sproul. Could you see very early on just how good he was? No, <laughs> no, I, I, no. I, Ivan took a, he took a while to settle. His, uh, yeah, he did not really much on his debut. He came on at Hamden and didn't do very much there. Um, it, he was on the verge of leaving the club uh, to go back to Ireland, and um, basically, he, he, I think we got an injury and then he played, and I think that was when he got the hat trick at Ibrox, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. And that was him, you know, he kind of went down in, in, in Hibs Legend after and he developed and developed at, at Hibs, uh, a right good player. But he, he struggled at first to, to kind of hit the heights. And the whole thing with this kind of team is, obviously we'll touch on later on, This they all go for, for decent money. Was there any whispers before that, before they eventually did go, that there was maybe talk? Because you know as well as I do, if you're a team in Scottish football and you've got a lot of young talent, it's very... It's very likely that they all get sold on relatively early on. What was your kind of memories of the? Was there any whispers before they eventually did go that they were going to get sold? Um, so we knew Hibs were Hibs needed the money. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Gary O'Connor was the first one to go for any sort of decent money, and, and Hibs sold them just as we were about to go to the semi-final against Hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which was disastrous. Like we got absolutely hammered in that that semi final, um, and when he went, you started to kind of get the sense that this is what's going to happen. This team is going to get broken up, and there's too much talent there for Hibs to hold on to. Um, I think Gary Colwell left for uh, for Celtic for decent money. Ulrich Larson, or Larson had gone previously. Ian Murray had gone. Um, yeah, you, you can see it breaking up, but you just had that wee, you hoped we would hold on to them long enough to do something. And obviously across the city around about this point, Hearts begin to emerge as a real threat, obviously under Bully. Was there a bit of jealousy there, or did you did you still have the feeling that Hibs are a really good side, or was there a lot of focus on how well Hearts were doing? Well, Hearts had, the, I think they were, what, nine or ten unbeaten mm-hmm. at the start of the season under Burley, and then they sacked them, which was... Yeah, bonkers, but that was kind of bonkers time for uh, for yeah. Hearts anyway. And we'll we'll cover that in the next episode. Of the <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting one for you. Um, I don't know about jealousy. I, I think we knew the value of the players that we had, and they could be competitive. But then we took a few sore ones for Hearts that said, "Like we could, we were capable of beating them, and we did beat them a few times." But we also took a few sore ones for them, and I think that was when you kind of realised that actually, that's what happens if you spend millions and millions on a team compared to one that's been brought together through the ranks and then held together by the skin of its teeth, mm-hmm. which is what we were what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And Hibs go to Ibrox for the first their first victory there since nineteen ninety-five. Ivan Sproul would come on as a second half, sold for Gary O'Connor and battered Rangers a three now a really poor Rangers side, but Hibs were outstanding that day and Sproul in particular stood out and that was a feeling. I, that was a feeling I had that day of right. This Hibs team are really serious. They could be a real serious contender. What was uh, funny about that is McLeish after games. McLeish obviously in charge of Rangers at this point described mm-hmm. it as uh, a smash and grab, three 0 smash and grab. Um, <laughs> but I think that was when you saw what the team was capable of, and we, we counter attacked well. And for all, like Hibs had a lot of trouble with goalkeepers in that period. That's probably the other sort of standout thing for for the golden generations. If we'd had a Craig Gordon yeah. level. Um, player coming through, we we would have done better, but we we nobody had a habit of signing dud goalkeepers. But yes. that that game, I think it was Simon Brown or Malkowski that was in goal for it. But that a cracking game, um, and then Scott Brown was brilliant in in that game as well. And Sproul came on. I remember Gary O'Connor. The story is he's going off. He says to to nobody, you know, what the f is he going to do? He was complaining <laughs> about getting off, and then twenty minutes later, whatever, there you go, three goals in the back. And was there a feeling leaving Ibrox that day that you could, there was a real kind of possibility that this side was, because if you remember Rangers finished third, Hearts finished second, there's there's a chance here. Did you think that at the time? I I think Hibs had that feeling anyway. We knew we were capable of playing like that. Um, It was just a, I I don't know if any, as a Hibs fan, you know not to get too carried away. Mm. I think that's that's sort of the thing. You, you get a result like this, but there's every chance, is it, like you say, Hibs will, will go Ibrox 1-3-0 and then the next game lose 2 nothing at Hamilton. So it's just the, that's sort of the Hibs way, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, but then they get too carried away, but you can see the potential was there. Mm-hmm. Was it a good feeling as well ending Hearts' winning run with that 2-0 win at Boozlin in a corner squad? Outstanding. Aye. And that was... The Hearts fans rocked up to Easter with that. Absolutely certain that they were going to blow us away. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think what we saw at that point was the character for the Hibs side. It wasn't just that we, we could be cavalier and have this attack and was it Lennon called as the boy band image. Uh-huh. But Hibs battled that, that, that game and, and were well worth the, the 2-0 win. It was a, a brilliant result. 
And it's interesting you say that about character because I've got a wee thing here about obviously the 27th of November, Habs played Angels again at Easter Road this time and it's a 2-1-1 for Habs and Mowbray's asked that day how he feels about a title challenge and he plays it down. <laughs> and it's it's interesting when you look the two games after that, it's two away defeats to the United and Celtic and I've always wondered, and you might disagree, was that pressure that was the kind of, when it was asked about the title challenge, did that have an effect on the players in the two games after that? I don't know. It, it might have done, but I, th- I think there would have been, if you look at the results that I've seen, there would have been other examples as have fallen up a really good result with, with a bad result. So I don't know. I don't think anybody at the club would have believed that we would have had a title challenge. I think this is the difference between Hibs and Hearts at that time. Mm-hmm. Hearts had chucked that much money at it, yeah. and there was that much craziness going on. They, and and because they, they, I think they ended up splitting Old Firm. They genuinely yeah. believed that they, they could do it. They, they spent the money and, and were having like a real serious tilt at it. Hibs always looked like we were... We just never had enough about us to, to sustain it. We could, we could turn the results in, but there was always that chance of the bad results as well. And you look at the end of the season, Habs won 17 games, but they lose 16. And you just, crazy. It's, it is crazy. And you just wonder if a few of them had, because there's, there's 17 points between Rangers and Habs that season. You just wonder like if if Habs had got a run going, would they have been able to mount a challenge? It's just, it's one of those you look back on me. Aye. <laughs> I think if we, if we could have got a run, it's, it's that thing, like, even if we turn some of those um, those defeats into draws and stayed a bit closer or just had that sort of consistency beating the the weird team, you know, in inverted commas, the weird teams, um, then maybe we would have had the challenge. It just, it's, it's funny looking back, we definitely had the quality, we just never had the, maybe the strength and depth was missing. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there about obviously Gary O'Connor going to Locomotive Moscow. Obviously, that was a a good financial deal for the club and probably O'Connor himself. But losing O'Connor was that the kind of did you feel that was the beginning of this kind of break up in the? This Aye. Um, so O'Connor going and when he when he went, I think what it did was it was a big question mark about the ambition of the club mm-hmm. because of the timing of it, and I think. It's one of these things where it would have been really unfair. In hindsight, being totally objective about it, it would have been really unfair on Gary O'Connor for the club to have not sold him. Um, but if if we were being ambitious as a as a football club, and knowing that, that we've got this big game coming up, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have you know you wouldn't sell your best player. You would try to keep a hold of them. Um, and I think when you know that that's the position the club are in, and they're having to sell players to can he make ends meet and that's at the expense of the sporting ambition you knew that the, the, it just told you what you needed to know about the club right like there was there was no realistic opportunity for us to go and invest in the team to go chasing hearts or celtic or rangers it was just going to be it's good to know eventually this is not going to be quite as good because they're all going to go mm-hmm. and getting into that next season the we'll touch on obviously what happens at the end but a slow start Eleven points from nine games. What was kind of different? How how was it kind of? How do you remember the start of that season? Because it wasn't great when you look at results. Um, I think we just thought it was taking a wee while to get going. I don't think anybody thought it was going to be a bad season, um, or that we would be in any any trouble. I think we just thought we're not quite clicked into gear yet. Because mm-hmm. sometimes the, the some of the the games 
the results didn't necessarily match the performances, and that that's probably true for quite a few of the losses that Hibs had over that period. That they would probably deserved a bit more for the games. Mm-hmm. And Mowbray obviously Mowbray and Venus signed a new role in contract. Did you get the feeling with that, like when when they secured their future? It was I was although it was a twelve month role in contract, but did you get the feeling that they were going to be here for the long haul? That's a really good question. I think when we when they signed the contract, I'd probably at a time where I would have been naive enough to think this is a good thing and we're we're going to have them for a while. Um, I think for for folk who had been around the block a bit more than I had at that point, they would have seen the writing on the wall. And you know, you know, I should learn from McLeish actually. McLeish going, having said that he would be there for as long as we we wanted him, you kind of knew that. Managers didn't stay around for for it's still the case now. Same for for every club, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That that unless you're right at the top end, unless you're a Man City or a Liverpool or or you know a team like that, you're not going to hold on to manager if they're successful. A bigger fish will come along and take them. And Ryder and Caldwell obviously going to Celtic as well. Like you must have thought that Ryder would go on and kick on to be a top player with Celtic. And what do you think happened there? Probably best not to speculate the rumours. I mean, there, there was all sorts of uh, rumours flying about, but I think most of them boiled down to uh, him and Strack and not getting on. Yeah. Um, it was just a waste. Like I, I think he still did. Like if you look at his stats at Celtic, they were all right. Like they're not terrible. Um, but Arden, he was always like the unrealised talent. I think everybody thought he had the potential to go the furthest out of everybody. <coughs> And that move just never worked out for him. And he, I think he probably stayed at Celtic longer than he should have done. Mm-hmm. And by the time he came back to Hibs, he wasn't quite the player that, that yeah. left. Yeah, it was, a, it was a real shame because, like I, like I said, if, <coughs> if, if he'd had a kind wind behind him, he could have gone on to you know, be like yeah. a Scotland great and, and maybe made it down in England, but it just never worked out. When do you first hear that Mowbray's been approached by West Brom? Uh, well, I remember sort of seeing it well, the news was coming through in the, the forums, like early days at uh, Hibs.net. Yeah. Um, we would have seen the chat about it, and I think generally by the time it was getting onto those places, there was a fair chance that it was going to happen. I remember being absolutely devastated, though. I mean, I absolutely loved Tony Mowbray's time at, at Hibs, and when you have this end of an era, and knowing what, you know, what we'd come from with, with Bobby Williamson's style, and there was nobody really kind of kicking about at that point that was like Mowbray. Mm-hmm. That you thought, well, that's there's a, a like for like replacement here that we could pull in. I, I was gutted, absolutely gutted when when he started to to move. And he's kind of become a figure, and well, obviously his time at Celtic just didn't work. But you look back at that Hibs run he had, and he was a brilliant manager. Aye, outstanding. Like I said, the Hibs fans that are my age will look back at that that team just with nothing but but fondness. Mm-hmm. And then obviously a replacement is is needed, and it's another kind of left field appointment that Hibs go for. And you can't say Hibs didn't think outside the box during this time. They go for John Collins now. John Collins obviously been a really effective player for Celtic. And I don't know if you know this, but John Collins played in Monaco. I think he's said it before, eh? But... Yeah, <laughs> but the reason we say that in kind of tongue in cheek way is is that he he obviously developed some systems in Monaco which will kind of play a part later on here but when Collins came in and he was appointed and he'd obviously spoke about that kind of fitness regime they wanted to implement and things like that was it an excitement with Collins or was that a, a thing of like this 
will this work in Scottish football? Will this work with a Hibs team that are very focused on getting the ball down, playing it for, playing it quicker? Whereas you're going from a bit of a difference now to a kind of real focus and fitness and getting behind the ball. Well, I think Collins when he came on, it was I thought it was a really ambitious move. And Collins mm-hmm. talked about passing, so all all the all the noise he made about was passing, possession, football, attacking, keeping the ball, being brave. I mean, he made all the right noises. He had the fitness, but he brought in a guy. Was it George Propos? I think was a fitness coach. Big fanfare about this fitness coach coming in mm-hmm. and how he was going to take us to the next level. And I think we had. Uh, well, Collins, we were building the training centre out at East Mains, which was sort of the legacy of was it Scott Brown's sale or Fletcher's sale. I can't remember. One of them, anyway. For, for the millions that we brought in, for them, they built the, this new training uh, facility. And you just thought, everything's starting to fall into place here. We've got a manager who's uh, been there, seen and done it at the highest level, played World Cups, played English Premiership, played for Monaco, mm-hmm. worked with Arsene Wenger, I think, when he was there. Mm-hmm. And he just seemed to tick all the boxes. And actually, Collins had a great start. It was only sort of towards the end of his time that it really went south. And I mean, you get, they get that top six finish. And the thing with Collins is, and obviously there's, there's results. He comes in, there's a real lack of consistency. When you look at there's no run. I mean, there's not a run of two, two games that I win from December onwards. And it just shows... Was there this kind of consistency problem at the time? There definitely was. I mean, we were capable of some brilliant performances under Collins. So I think his first first game at Easter Road, um, Derby, League Cup game against Hearts, um, we win 1-0, but it's the biggest pump in 1-0. I think the stats on the night were something, 81% possession. Hibs, Craig Gordon stopped it being 5-6, 7-0. Hibs absolutely hammered them. Um and you saw what the team were capable of. We had another game at Ibrox where I think David Murphy scores. We win 1-0. Mm-hmm. Boozland's pulling the strings and the, yeah. we're giving it the Olays. Do you know, that's how comfortable we were in that game. Um, and I think we won that to go top of the league under Collins. And you you, you talk about the, 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 having the sense that under Mowbray, probably it was more of a sense that um, after that game, but consistency, is, as always, is the killer for him. So we just... They never string it together long enough. Aye, and although the league form isn't great, the the league cup is beginning. Obviously, Mowbray won the first two games of that run, but he comes in, Collins comes in, and obviously beats Hearts in the quarter final. How how would you remember that result? I've just been blown away by it. I mean, like I was saying there, Hibs were Hibs were everything that you want for a football team that night. Other than we could have been more clinical finishing. But it was just a great night under the lights. I can't remember if it was a Friday night. Um, it was definitely like a, a midweek night. Um, I just like a, a really nice night and just battering them. It was just relentless Hibs, Hibs attack, and that that was sort of Collins laying down a marker for for what he wanted for the team. Mm. And if we kept if, if we'd kept that up, to be fair, if, if we could have got that out of the team every week, we would have been challenging. Yeah. Definitely, and the semi-final was obviously at Hamden, uh, Tynecastle actually, Mark. Yeah, St. Johnson. St. Johnson, and that, that thing we were speaking about, the fitness, it obviously goes into extra time, 1-1, but Murphy and uh, Benjamin was there. Uh, yeah, Benji. He was in Morocco up front. Yeah, him, him, uh, Benji and Zamam were the two Moroccans that, yeah. uh, that played. Hibs uh, were really good. I think we were a wee bit unlucky that it went to extra time mm-hmm. that night, but once we got into the into extra time, 
was quite a, it was quite an even game. I'm trying to think back to it, it was <laughs> it was a good game. So Johnson definitely made, made a, a really good game of it. But we got the we got the goal and then we scored the the third one sort of right towards the end. And remember that Bentley running through, and he sort of clips the heels of the boy that's running with him. So he falls on his backside and Benji's then left unmarked to tap it in at the, the back post that, and they all went mental about obviously as as he would. Um but, but when we got that win, you felt we would win it, win the cup. I, I think definitely you saw that team was capable of it. Yeah, and I mean this is kinda of the the whole symbol of this team is that game against Kilmarnock in that League Cup final. It's a five one victory and it is probably a I mean I've I've spoke to a lot of ex Kilmarnock players about it and they said Hibs just blew them away that game. But you actually look at it and it was one 0 at fifty eight minutes. Crazy. And it just showed you this Hibs team, they did they just they did have superior fitness and they went on and obviously scored four goals in the last thirty minutes. But what was your memories of that day when you look back on it? What was what kind of stands out? Uh, it was well the the first thing was the weather. The weather was wild that day, so we had pretty much every season in that one game. So when Rob Jones scored the opener, it was snowing. I think by the time uh, Fletcher scores Alaska, it's sunny, um, and we had torrential rain through there. And I remember going three 0 and Kilmarnock got a goal back and panicking because this is what happens so like. It's sort of going, ah, oh, no again, and then we just scored the fourth and. It, it was much more comfortable than it felt at the time. Mm-hmm. The time the fourth one, everybody celebrated. We knew we were going to win it then. But at 3-0, you just thought, what, are we going to fold here? Is it going to be one of these games where we've been so on top that we just have a bit of a setback and then collapse? But we had Andy McNeil, who's a young goalkeeper. Yeah. It was one of the things Colin did was uh, was dropped. Uh, Malkowski and Simon Brown um, brought in Andy McNeil, who wasn't a great goalkeeper, to be fair. But I think the fans got behind him because he'd come through the the youth Louis Stevenson played that game and he got yeah, he man of the match, match. Yeah. Um, he had a, a, a cracking game I remember Mikey Stewart didn't play he was sat with his face tripping him for, uh, for most of the game as well um, ah, it was an incredible day we knew the Hibs don't win that many cups um, and, and to win it 5-1 and that was probably the first time we'd had proper sunshine on Leith playing en masse at that, that level yeah, and that's the thing that sticks out to me when I, I kind of watched that, watched the highlights of this, this, this to to, to kind of pre- prepare for this, and you saw Collins, and you I think he he'd, he'd lost his dad right about that time as well. I think there was a, and you just saw this very emotional guy, and you just thought that he's this could work. Did you get that feel at the time that this he was kind of but the the players had bought into it more than anything? Do you th- did you think that at the time? Obviously, we'll touch on it. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't, but yeah. Um, I think at that point, yeah, we, we were looking good in the Scottish Cup as well. Mm. So we had that one trophy, and I think we started looking ahead, thinking we might. There's an outside chance of us doing a double. I think with them Dunfermline in the semi final, yeah, uh, uh, the Scottish Cup. We looked, it looked like it was all coming together. Yeah, de- mm. definitely like that. There was a togetherness about the the players. It looked like they were all right behind the manager. <coughs> and there was certainly no sign of what was to come. No, at um, that point. Aye, and it's kind of tough to put this kind of into, into words because Thompson obviously leaves as well when Thompson goes to Rangers and there was talk, obviously, Brown and Thompson. I think there was a lot of talk that they were going to go to the other clubs they went to. So I think Brown was going to Rangers, Thompson was going to Celtic, but they were two massive losses at the time, do you know what I agree? They, they were, yeah. And 
So Tom's uh, Scott Brown stayed on to win the cup. Yeah, uh, and there were sort of stories about the both handing in transfer requests after one of the games that mm-hmm. they'd had it tucked in their socks, and there was a bit of animosity between um, the players and the support. There was a bit of disconnect there because the, the the fans weren't really keen on how they they'd handled things. I think their agent was Willie Mackay at the time, and he yeah. was getting a lot lot of flack for sort of uh, stirring it. There was a lot of noise in the Daily Record, so the Daily Record was sort of like public enemy number one with the Hibs fans as well. Collins stripped Thompson of the captaincy, and I think he dropped him for some games, and mm-hmm. I think there was a quote in the record that Thompson saying he'd crawl over broken glass to get to the Ibrox, which you can imagine that the Hibs fans just were like, oh, yeah, well, it's not very good. No. <laughs> and it's that thing as well, obviously, like, I've always wondered this speaking of Hibs fans. How do you, when you see like Thompson and Brown, they're going to Rangers and Celtic, and obviously that is the kind of next level. Is there an understanding with Hibs fans like you want you you kind of like the fact that they're going to a higher level, or obviously is there that kind of animosity that they're they're going because like if Kevin Thompson and Scott Brown went to West Brom, for example, with Mowbray, would there have been that level? Of, would would there have been that much controversy? Do you think? No, not at all. So I think it, a lot of it comes to down to how they left, how they leave the club. So if you take Ulrich um, Larson, who I spoke about earlier on, when he left Hibs to go to Celtic, everybody just wished him well. He was a good player for Hibs. He knew he was too good for us, and he would go on to better things. Riordan, when he went to Celtic, so Riordan actually refused to sign a contract. But I can't remember. But basically, the way it was going to pan out, he signed a pre-contract with Celtic. We were going to get nothing for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a wee bit of wheeling and dealing in the background, and they ended up getting a wee bit money for him. Scott Brown, because he stayed on to win the cup and didn't force the issue, he went with, with more good wishes for Hibs fans than, than bad. Kevin Thompson, because it was so disruptive the way that he left, he's, even though he's come back to Hibs since, played for free, won the Scottish Cup or been part of the squad mm-hmm. that won the Scottish Cup, there's still a lot of Hibs fans that, that just do not like him and still hold that against him. And it's a, it's a weird thing, isn't it? It's, as you say, I mean, if the manager's job come up probably tomorrow, you would probably say Kevin Thompson would maybe be in contention for it, but you would probably have a lot of Hibs fans that wouldn't like it. Aye, Thompson, I think, would be... Hibs would be mental if they hired Thompson as a manager. And, and for all he's a, a Hibs, Hibs fan, in inverted commas, uh, I, I think he just has that perception. That he, he goes in... There was a, a commentary game, uh, Hibs, Rangers-Hibs at Ibrox, he was commentating for Rangers TV, and it was, we this, we that, we... And Hibs fans just kind of see that and go, right, well, you're obviously not a Hibs fan. And because of the, the history there, they just would not take to him. If, if, Hibs, if Hibs brought in Kevin Thompson as a, a manager, it would be with the support. But obviously the the Collins era was to end pretty strangely. Reports in the media emerged of obviously a dispute between Collins and the Hibs players. Now, Collins has obviously said a few times publicly that it was he wanted to get a training camp and kind of emerged like a real kind of it was like a boot camp or a proper fitness boot camp wasn't it and yeah. I don't think the players certainly liked that and plus I think as well the players weren't happy with the kind of chopping and changing information in the team quite a lot like what did you kind of think of that at the time because it, when a, a manager and a player fall out as public you're either on one side or the other I th- I think initially, a lot of the Hibs fans backed Collins with it 
because they were like, well, it's the players being unprofessional. Um, and then you sort of hear a wee bit more about it and, and sort of if you're being pragmatic, you think, well, they're all grown-ups. I think Collins had taken away their energy drinks mm-hmm. and it was all water. So there was like no alcohol, energy drinks. They weren't allowed out past a certain time. And I think what, what was potentially <coughs> going to be like a really constructive bonding uh, training camp in, I can't remember where it was, it was um, Portugal maybe. It turned into... You know, a huge negative with the players falling out with the manager, and mm-hmm. um, but but certainly at the time it's probably different now with folk looking at it in hindsight. But at the time, there's a lot of support for Collins for it because they thought he wants to take us to the next level, and the players are just no up for it. I think remember, uh, remember Le Guin had the same at Rangers. Yeah, but he he got faced that sort of backlash for for trying to set higher standards than they wanted to deliver. And I remember at this time as well, I've spoke to Rob Jones about this, he's been on the show and I've, I've asked him about the, the statement he had to make about the apologising and it was just this thing of like, was there a thing of the Hibs, the Hibs fans that you wanted this to work, you didn't want this to become public, like you didn't want this to become public the way it did, but he'd won a trophy, he'd won the first trophy since 92, he'd really kind of taken Hibs to a new level, like, was there this feeling that this was just crashing down? Aye, at that point, you couldn't see a way back for it because I think you knew either the manager's going to need to go mm-hmm. or he's going to have to rebuild that squad. And it was too good a squad to, to tear apart. Um, and something had something had to give for it. And I think as soon as the, the news of that broke, the, the, the revolt that players had gone to Rod Petrie's house, the writing was on the wall. Like you knew it was, it was not going to end in a good way. And despite obviously the getting into that next season, Hibs Hibs won the Hibs won seven of their first nine games. They obviously beat Celtic at Easter Road and then go to Ibrox and won that Murphy game you're talking about, but a really bad run after that where they don't win in twelve. And obviously in the middle of that Collins is he kind of resigns like how does that start go from how does it go from so good to so bad? Like it's just weird when you look at this and you're thinking how how does that happen? I think Collins lost a lot of credibility. So he, he, he lost, depending who you listen to. Because I mean, we've spoken to, like I said, we had, had some players on the, the podcast before. I'm speaking to Lewis Stevenson about it, and mm-hmm. he had nothing but good things to say for Collins. He's like, well, he gave me my my break, and he, he trusted me to to play me. Um, and he's very loath to criticise him. Ivan Sproul was slightly different. He was kind of a bit happy to sort of. Say wasn't he didn't have the man management skills, but I think Collins just lost key players in the dressing room and players that he needed to be performing uh, week in week out for him that he couldn't he could no longer rely on, uh, and I think once you hit that stage and he started to lose a bit of the the faith of the support, the team's performances dropped away. They almost one of the other significant things is Collins signings were abysmal. Uh, yeah, I mean, they were. I I can't think of. Really, any signing? I try to rake my my brains here. Do you want me to run a few of them? Do you want me to run a go 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 for it? I, I I mean, I could rattle off some of the the, the poor ones. That he's, I mean, spend money on Alan O'Brien. Yeah. Alan O'Brien was awful, mm-hmm. absolutely awful. Um, Brian Kerr came in. The Brian Kerr's actually a really nice guy, and I yeah. I think he did okay at Hibs. He done better in Motherwell, I think. But he he was all right. He scored a. 
he scored the winner against Hearts at Tynecastle, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and he, he gets kind of remembered fondly for that. But I think a lot of folk remember him for his sort of again inverted commas unseen work. Mm-hmm. He was one of these players that he, he was there, but we didn't really know what he did. Clayton Donaldson, uh, again, had a good career. Clayton mm-hmm. Donaldson got a hat trick against Kilmarnock one game. Um, but it just never worked for him at Hibs, whether it was that he was never got the service that he needed or, or whatever, but nah, not not a, a successful signing. Thierry Gattusi. Hong Kong Thierry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not very good. He, he was quite a physical player, I think it's a nickname, but yeah, not a success. A player who actually had uh, Colin signed, who went on to actually do quite well, can I cross? Can I? He went to Inverness and St Johnson and did okay. Felipe Marais. I believe was was all right. Um, he was at Chelsea, what, wasn't he? he, he, he yeah, we we signed for Chelsea uh, and he did all right at Hibs. I can't. There was something about how he left. I can't remember. It was he didn't leave under the best of circumstances. I don't know if he sort of had a dig at the fans or something like that. And because he he was sort of one of the the targets for the Boo Boys. Mm-hmm. He just never turned it on enough. So he was capable of better than he showed at Hibs. Did he not get, I think he get fined for an assault or something, was that? Ah, that would be about right, aye. I think. And uh, Macalambe, who I thought was all right, to be fair. Joe, you know, uh, Macalambe suffered from the legacy of Tony Mowbray's goalkeeper signings. Yeah. So he, he had one sort of really awful moment where he kicked the ball off, I can't remember who was at Aberdeen. So booted it off the back of his guys, he didn't it, it went over him and then at the back of the net. Mm-hmm. Um, and then oh, when Yogi took over, I think he accused Macalambe of bottling a game against Rangers. Uh, he just said he was he effectively said he wasn't brave enough or he was a coward or something like this. And, and that was the end of Macalambe, but he was all right, like he was, I think if he'd stuck with him, he was a decent enough keeper. Was Rankin and Nash calling signings? Uh, Collins or John Hughes, I think. I think it was. Maybe, I think I maybe I even Mixu. Trying to remember the order of the manager. I think it was Mixu. Aye. Uh, but again, Colin this should get a great record of scoring in the, uh, the Premier League. Yeah. I just remember him being offside. It was like sort of every game, just relentlessly offside. He's now broke into management with Trinent. Uh, he's a really nice guy. I would. Yes, I. He's a lovely, lovely guy. Ian Murray came back as well, but yeah, I mean. It kind of ends really badly. It absolutely does. And I think there's no way of saying anything other than that. But I'm going to ask you a wee what-if question as we close up the show. If Hibs had the budget and they didn't need to sell them, so Brown stays, Thompson stays, Caldwell, Whitaker, Murphy, Riordan, O'Connor, two years later, do they, do they split the old firm? Do they win the title? They'd be close to that. Aye. I, I think... We we needed a keeper. That that was probably my only caveat. I think every other position we we were well covered. I mean, if you could have taken, like Murphy on the left, Whitaker on the right, Brown and Thompson in the middle, Sproul, Fletch, Fletcher, Ryder, O'Connor. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, you look at the careers that they have. There's no doubt they could have played at that level. And if mm-hmm. we'd kept them together, I frightening. And how how do you look back in this period? Because obviously it is. Uh... It's not a case of what if, it's more a case of these players were obviously huge parts of, of Hibs' legacies and they've obviously went on to have really good careers. Do you look back around it with pride of how well they've done and how kind of how fortunate you are to have kind of seen them in the flesh as in your own club? Definitely. And I think when you 
when all said and done, so we, we won the cup and it would have been a tra- travesty if we hadn't won something with that group. They needed something tangible to show for it. They won the cup, but the legacy that they have is that we finished the stadium, built the training centre. Yeah. It sort of laid the foundations for what should be a successful Hibs team going going forward. I mean, and it's thanks to the money that we, we recouped for for these players. It's nice to see players that have come through your youth team go on and do good things elsewhere. Like a, I like to say it's like McGinn doing well for Scotland. You'll not hear a Hibs fan say a bad word about John McGinn because we've got that connection to him. Aye, and that's the thing. Like, see, like young players, like you just you instantly see because you've seen them. It's like yeah, it's like your own kids. It's like mm. you see them maturing in front of your eyes and you think that they and you John McGinn's a good example. I mean John McGinn we're recording this tonight. He just a couple of nights after he's he's I think he's made his fiftieth cap for Scotland. Aye, 50th or cap, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, and you wouldn't you wouldn't have thought that when he was coming through. You would have thought like yeah he's gonna go on and do quite well but you wouldn't you didn't see that and you certainly didn't see like the likes of Brown going on and doing what he did for saying he won twenty one trophies. Do you know what Something I mean? Something like that. It's, ridiculous, yeah. And you don't and it's this thing of pride. And it is, it must be just like some do, some did quite well, like Sir Brown, Caldwell had a good career. <laughs> some some didn't maybe hit the heights that you thought they would, but there's always this thing of when you think of them, you think of their time at Habs, and it must just be a lot of pride. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, a lot of pride, a lot of happiness about it. Absolutely. Matty, it's been an absolute pleasure to be on the show. You must have really enjoyed looking back in that period. Ah, it's grand, eh? Grand. Uh, Send me to sleep with some happy memories tonight, definitely. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much to everyone that's tuned in. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to our YouTube and podcast channels. We will be going to the other side of Edinburgh for next week's show as we look at the infamous time of Vladimir Romanov's ownership of Hearts. Thank you very much for everyone that's tuned in. We'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.